Here we are on, a, on a holiday weekend. I, I was last allowed up here we on Memorial Day weekend. God is moving in and I think I'm starting to see a trend. I don't know. I guess we'll see what happens come, uh, come Labor Day weekend. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick Stales. I'm the student today. director here. Uh, they don't allow me up here too often. I'm a little wild at times. I'll try to keep it toned down for you. Uh, just to let you know ahead of time, I am fighting a little bit of a head cold, have been all week. So I sound a little congested. If I start coughing, uh, don't worry. It's probably fine. It's probably fine. So, not a great segue into this, but uh, my brother-in-law, my brother, passed away unexpectedly three weeks ago. You never know how how it's going to affect you in the moment, right? Uh, It's a tragic event for our family, difficult to, to walk through something like that. It's been devastating. I can tell you, emotions, as you've just seen, <laughs> they're right there under the surface. And you never know when, when you're going to have an outburst. Um, it's tough. As a family, something like that can cause division amongst, amongst its members, but we have this faith in our Creator into the promises that He has for us and this strength that He has, knowing that we have an ultimate hope which is beautiful. We hope that not only Craig is in glory and we believe that, and that we'll see him again soon, but also that we've been blessed with each other to, to really comfort and love. And that's really important to have. Now, as we're continuing through our series here, Family, Why Bother? We're actually finishing our series today. We're seeing this convincing evidence that God doesn't only work through these wholesome and functioning families, but we see His sovereign grace can perform its incredible, amazing work in the most tragic of circumstances. And none are more tragic than losing a son, a brother, an uncle. So if your family has its share of of ups and downs, of heartache, of confusion, of of difficulty, I think we we can be sure that we can find hope within this Genesis account of Joseph's family today. Uh, throughout the book of Genesis, we were being taught that, that, that God's plan of redemption and how he created uh, image bearers of uh, both male and female to take care of this world, to live in, communi- in community with him, in community with each other, we see that we're built for community. We were created for it. And we have this beautiful picture of, of our God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, our triune God living in this perfect community together as our example of how we're called to live in community with our God and with the people around us. But what we saw then is a rebellion against God. And this rebellion sent our entire world into chaos. And he chose this family, God chose this family to rescue humanity through. But this family had quite a few ups and downs as well. Throughout the story, we can learn about God's design, about his purpose for what family's really supposed to be. And by extension, really for all of human relationships and all of human community. Despite humanity's tendency to stray away from God's design. As we saw at the very beginning of the Bible, in the story of Adam and Eve, all the way through all of human history, we've constantly strayed away from God's design 
However, he will always be faithful to his promises. And we've seen that time and time again through Scripture. I can, I can verify I've seen it time and time again in my life as well. We're going to jump right to the text, but before we do, how about we go before the Lord in prayer? Father God, I thank you for the blessed opportunity to be in your presence. The opportunity to have a comfort in my heart when it aches. People around me to love me well, God, and for me to love others well. Thank you for allowing us the opportunity to live within community. That we're not living these isolated lives where we seclude ourselves, where we don't interact with people, but God, that that we're constantly surrounded by others and that your love through us can, can touch those around us. God, I ask that as I speak today that, that the message that you need to portray today is, is given, is felt, is received, it is digested well, and that, that penetrates all the hearts of those that need to hear it, Lord. I thank you for the people in this room today, for those watching online, for those that live around us in our communities. God, thank you forgiving us others. It's in your precious and and holy name we pray. All right, well, let's jump right into the book of Genesis, chapter 37. We're going to start with verses 1 through 4. I'll read that. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the son of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So what we see first here is this family's chaotic condition. And and this rife with this dysfunction in this family. Uh, If you're familiar with the story, a lot of dysfunction in Jacob's family, especially surrounding the story of Joseph. In fact, there's three different characteristics that really kind of define their relationship, and that's favoritism, hatred, and jealousy. So I think it may be wise to really kind of work through each of those things within the story, so we can see how it really plays out. Let's start with favoritism. Jacob loved his, his son, uh, Joseph, more than any of his other sons. So here it is. He's, a, he's an old man. He's reached old age. He has a bunch of other sons, 11 others. And he has multiple wives he's had sons with. But, but the love of his life, Rachel, has been barren the entire time. She hasn't been able to produce a son. But here now we have Rachel giving birth to a baby boy. And the problem then comes when Joseph gives this incredible gift. This this expresses that favoritism, and and Joseph obviously likes strutting around in it. He really enjoyed receiving and wearing it. It's this richly ornamented coat of many colors. And this coat, what it does is it, it, it speaks of favor and leadership. Now, when it comes to leadership... That's a bit tumultuous in this family relationship as well. Typically, in a, in a family like this, the most natural leader 
to take over once the father passes as the oldest son. And in this case, it's Reuben. But Reuben's disgraced his father a couple chapters ago and back in chapter 35. So now Joseph is here, the son of his favorite wife, wearing this incredible gift, this coat that speaks of leadership and privilege. So I find it kind of interesting that, that Jacob wouldn't have kind of learned from the past. He, hasn't, he didn't really learn from you know, the favoritism that he saw. Jacob was, in fact, the favorite son of his mother, which caused hatred and discord with his brother Esau. So he walked through that kind of relationship and saw what favoritism can do within that kind of relationship. But here he is, really doing the same thing. So for all my parents out there, don't play favorites. Uh, it never ends in healthy relationships for your kids. Uh, sometimes, sometimes we secretly kind of had favorites. I, I would never, I have four kids and I love them all, 25% of, of my love for my kids. Uh, I love them all deeply. But, you know, at times, you know, we, ha- we have a leaning or a tendency to, to prefer one child or, or over another for whatever reason. Showing that kind of favoritism really does cause unhealthy relationships for all of your children as well as with your relationship with them. So steer clear. Um, so that moves us on to hatred now. That, that favoritism that was shown in that moment it incited hatred from his brothers, right? We saw at the very end of our scripture there, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And that hatred was really stirred up because he was bringing back these reports to his father. He's reporting back about his, his brothers messing up a lot, making poor choices. And he's constantly bringing those back to his dad. And if you look, look back at the exploits of Joseph's brothers, you'll see that he had a lot of ammunition to bring back to Jacob, so what we have here is, is a son, a brother, who didn't just bug and annoy his, his older siblings like you would see in a normal relationship. It says they hated him with this passion that was really capable of the cruelest treatment, which we're going to see really shortly here. They couldn't stand the sight of, of Joseph. Right? They wouldn't even talk to the guy. And the, the, the venom of bitterness really had blinded them. And that's what we see happening often when we allow frustrations to continually build up inside of us. As they build and build and build, we have this this bitterness and anger that builds within us, this hatred. And then we see jealousy. We're going to jump back into Scripture here, Genesis 37, 5 through 11. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I've dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in his mind. 
his brothers were jealous of him. And honestly, this is a problem within many of our relationships, whether it's families, friends, here at church, or or in our workplaces. Jealousy is this monster that eats and destroys everything within its path. Everyone within its path. Uh, In fact, let's do a little little fun thing. Let's raise our hands if you've ever struggled with jealousy. Yeah, probably every hand, right? There's a few that kept them down, but I believe you. <laughs> For myself, I can say absolutely, right? Like, man, this, this guy, he's such a more talented speaker than I am. He's so much more talented than I am. Or, or, or man, these people have such a great home, and mine isn't nearly as nice as what they have, or, or this person has been blessed to do so many incredible things with their lives. Why can't I just fill in the blank? I'm sure we all have these different things that have caused jealousy within our lives, and if we don't guard our hearts against it, it will destroy us as well as our relationships. Because the real, the real result of jealousy is, is really self-destruction. Right? It's, it's very infrequent that, uh, that that jealousy ruins the object of our jealousy. What really happens, and it destroys is the jealous person's, uh, it destroys their satisfaction. It messes with their reason, and, and sometimes it destroys their lives themselves. So that jealousy and that hatred of Joseph's brothers boiled to this point of intended murder. It's pretty big, right? Genesis 37, we see Jacob sending Joseph out to bring back another report of his brothers, see what they're up to, bring back a report, see how it's going. And when they see him coming in the, in the, in the distance, they see Joseph coming, they're like, oh, here comes Joseph. You know what we ought to do? We should kill him. That was the plan. They were going to kill Joseph. Now, luckily, the eldest, Reuben, said, we can't kill our brother. That would devastate our father. We can't do that. And then Judah has this great idea, inspired to sell him into slavery instead. That's reasonable, right? right make a little bit of money for themselves. Joseph gets to live just somewhere far, far away from them. Everyone wins, right? Except Joseph, really. But despite the appearance here of Joseph's life life being in chaos, being cruelly out of control, God would reveal his presence. So what we see is God's providential control. So the malicious intent of his brothers resulted in this this wild journey that Joseph goes on for the next 13 years. We started, he's 17 years old. This journey is of craziness, goes on for 13 years, ends when he's 30 years old. Here we see in Genesis 39, 1 and 2, Now Joseph has been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. It said the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. But then chaos again. He's falsely accused of attempted rape on the master's wife, and he's, he's tossed into Pharaoh's prison now. Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Again, those words, the Lord was with Joseph. 
So now we have this, this series of events that take place. Um, Joseph is able to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. Pharaoh is very troubled by these dreams he keeps having. He has no idea why he's having them. And he gets word that there's this guy down in his prison right around the corner here that can, that can read his dreams and tell him what's happening. And what's happening here is that God was warning Pharaoh of this famine that was coming. And it was going to last for seven years. It's a, it's a long famine. But before this seven-year famine, we have seven years of, of bounty, of plenty, of rich harvest. And Pharaoh asked Joseph, well, what do I do? What, what's the best advice here? And Joseph advises him, store up this bounty for the next seven years so that when the famine comes, we're prepared. The lives won't be lost. Genesis 41, 37 through 40, this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. So here we are, this, this 13 years of chaos that, that Joseph has walked through. He's gone from being nearly murdered, into, sold into slavery, and he's doing good for a hot minute there, and now he's thrown into prison. And he stays in prison for quite some time, until he gets to interpret this dream, he goes from slave to prisoner to second in command of all of Pharaoh's kingdom. That's, that's God's providential control there. We continue reading in Genesis 41, 46 through 49. It says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt, and he put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the field around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. He put away so much food that they couldn't even measure how much was there. And what we have going on now as this famine hits, his family is on the, the verge of extinction. They're on the verge of, of starving to death, of, of dying, and, and they hear there's food in Egypt, so they travel to Egypt. And they have no idea that God had providentially ordered Joseph to be the only one that could really provide them and their for their entire region, to keep them alive. How ironic, right? The, the guy that they planned on murdering, that they sold into slavery, thought they'd never see again, is the one person that can keep them alive. That's pretty wild. Despite their jealous hatred that they had for him, what we get to see here is that, is that they receive God's sovereign grace. They receive that blessing of, of life and God's sovereign grace because of what God did through God's control in Joseph's life. Joseph would later say to them this in, in Genesis 5.20, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So we have God here ruling through Joseph's circumstances. These ones that seem chaotic and cruel and, and ugly, and how unfair is that? 
God was very much in control, leading the way. You think, what if, what if God wasn't in control in this moment, in, in Joseph's life? What if Joseph is sent, sold into slavery and never heard from again? What happens when we get to those seven years of famine? Well, more than likely, many, many people die. But God didn't want those people to die. So he ordered Joseph's life in a way to put him in the right place at the right time. God is always in control here. He was reigning over every single event in detail. Now the temptation tends to be, especially now, for us to be asking, where is God in all of this? Now, why would he allow such things to happen? Why would, why would he allow me to be abused or mistreated? Why would he allow my family to be such a mess? Why would God allow this disease or this layoff or this accident to happen? Why would he allow my children to walk away from us? Why would he allow my brother to die so young? These are hard things, right? And the surface level answers, they don't suffice. They never help, do they? When you're struggling through something deep and you have, you have chaos in your life and you have these difficulties, surface level answers don't help. But our faith can be anchored in the truth that God is present with us. Even when we're in the dark pits of life, when we're, when we're struggling through chaos, when we face the unfair treatment of other people, because no one can overcome the unfolding of God's purpose in our lives, and we can trust him in the darkness. No one can overcome the unfolding of God's purpose in our lives, and we can trust him in the darkness, period. And Joseph's story here reveals that God is present, that he's working in the most chaotic of situations. But it also points to the ministry of Jesus. What we see is Christ's redeeming work. So in Joseph's experience, we have this beautiful picture of this deliverer who saves many from destruction. And I think if, if we're honest, we can draw a parallel there, can't we? We see a beautiful picture of a deliverer who would save many from destruction. Joseph faced hatred and jealousy and imprisonment, and he rose to save many lives because God was with him. On his own, he couldn't have done it. On our own, we can't do it. But God was with him. And though Jesus was, through his ministry, was treated, uh, mistreated, he was forsaken by man, many were and are continually saved because of his great love for us, for his great sacrifice. So the question really becomes, have you come to Jesus, our deliverer, to receive abundant life? Have you recognized the famine that you are in without him? Those are pretty big questions. If the answer is yes, then, I mean, amen, that's awesome, right? It's where I am, and, and man, I, I would love for you all to be there also. It's a beautiful thing to know that you have a hope that is greater than anything this world can provide. 
that is so much bigger than anything anyone here can provide to us. To know that regardless of what I'm going through, God's got me. Regardless of of what I've struggled with, he has my back. And if you're not in that place, as long as you are drawing breath, the opportunity to turn to Jesus is there for you. And I can tell you, man, the moment you turn to Jesus, even after leading an entire life where you've turned your back on him, where you haven't acknowledged his existence, where he hasn't been a part of your life, the moment you turn to Jesus, he is waiting with open arms to embrace you because he loves you that much. All he wants is the relationship with you. For you to feel his love in your life, in your heart, and to have that peace and that hope that he, only he can offer. And that's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. John 1, 11 through 12 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who gave his life for your sins, who rose to give you new life. He sacrificed himself for you and me. And that's huge. Within Joseph's story, we see this this clear example that that God can work magnificently despite the chaos that's occurring in our lives, the dysfunction that we have within our own families. Whether it's favoritism, hatred, jealousy, these all, all these things lead to this, this unnecessary heartache which can really be avoided as we live wisely and righteously in our relationships with other people. And I'll just close with this. When I think about relationships, I'm often drawn to Ephesians 4, which talks a lot about unity in the body of Christ. And the chapter concludes with verses 31 and 32 saying this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.